0: This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is David Evans, CFO of Cardlytics, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode five hundred and thirty-five.
1: Finance have got to really challenge the status quo and consistently look at why we do things. Do we need to do them that way? Do or are they I think, value? I think it, it, that, that does change the mindset to become, as I say, that much more client, customer focused uh, function that, that recognizes that clients aren't just external, there's an internal, very large internal
0: Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Sarah Murphy, CFO of BSI, a company many of us know as the Business Standards Company. Thought Leader listeners, as you know well, we speak to quite a few CFOs on this show who are designing finance functions from the ground up. And these days, they're placing greater focus on measuring the customer experience, Well, CFOs in established companies often face an even bigger challenge when it comes to rewiring an established finance function to become more customer centric. Sarah Murphy is of the latter persuasion. Her story begins after this message. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega planful.com.
1: way um, it was you know after college moving into a uh, first job with a company in Ireland a big um, wholesale distribution company um, and in the finance function doing um, starting on the, the bottom rung as they say um, and then moved to London and I think probably I was very fortunate in that I landed in a company that was actually a startup um, it was a, a new National broadsheet newspaper uh, that was being launched, The Independent.
2: Um,
1: and so, as a trainee accountant um, pre launch, uh, one got in, a, involved in lots of different things beyond finance. Um, you know, whether it was in the advertising department, the um, circulation, distribution, uh, all of the different aspects that really, I suppose, sparked some of my interest in. Uh, beyond finance or how finance fits into the overall um, business. And, you know, it, looking back, it was one of those things I think that's been probably quite defining over the years is that curiosity beyond finance is how, how do businesses work? Um, just numbers on spreadsheets, et cetera, doesn't really do it. You've really got to get under the hood of, of the different functions and how they all knit together. Uh, finance included to to really drive those businesses. So that was was a hugely defining sort of milestone and time for me in terms of what was ultimately you know my path to a finance leader. Um, one of the others was was in international and getting the opportunity to work internationally. Um, that the communist was the first exposure there. I lived in Brussels for a while as we launched uh, a new magazine there as a startup, and it really exposes you to all of the, the different aspects of cultures, the different markets, the different drivers, um, and different ways of working. Um, and going overseas as well always helps in terms of building your resilience in terms of you have to. You're away from the mothership, you, you know. You, you haven't necessarily got all of the infrastructure, and so you have to be a lot more resourceful. And so that helps you, you know, grow up pretty quick. Um, and I think it just adds to that um, flavor and, and broadens the horizon in terms of, of, of finance and where it fits in. Um, so they were some key, very key moments, and and really, I, I think since then I've um, worked largely in an international arena, which uh, for me is, is, is really exciting because I think it's, you know, the world has shrunk, and, um, and so it, it, it's really exciting to, to work and interact, you know, internationally, I think, these days. Now
2: we'll ask you uh, a few more questions about your career during the mentoring round, but I want to point out that you've been at – Uh, BSI, 19 years. Do I have that right? Correct. Now, we certainly have spoken with with, uh, finance leaders that have built their career primarily inside one company. Uh, But I always like to ask this question. Uh, What kept you there? Clearly, uh, the opportunities came your way. But also, there's probably opportunities along the way to move on outside of uh, BSI. What kept you there?
1: I think it was the variety um to be honest i think itified yes, a it was a very unique organization um and it was a I, I joined at that time where it was it was really going through significant change and um, i think it was part of the challenge and the um, attraction for me was really that ability to influence um at a very high level um and i i Started as finance secretary in one of our divisions, um, and really it was that there was a real commitment and drive for change, uh, which is um, you know a great environment to work for uh, and, and in, because it allows you to there there is that mandate for change that you know you can you can then just start to drive and influence and and make some real changes and see some changes. Um and really the, the opportunities just arose. Um I after that I, I transferred out to Hong Kong, uh, based out of Asia, uh, around Asia and building you know, a very dynamic um environment at the time. Um and that was really exciting. Um and then I came back to Europe and um took a global role in one of our insurance businesses. So it was that natural kind of <laughs> Progression. There was always something new um, to move on to that I was asked to move on into, and then ultimately moving to um, the U.S. back in 2009, the CFO here. Um, and that was an interesting time, you know, 2009, just after the the um, the, the, the financial crisis, et cetera. Um And it was a time where our business was, if I look at the U.S., I would say it was flat really and, and in need of um reinvigoration and um so we spent um i worked very closely with uh, the, the new president of the Americas who was came in just before I came over and um really, it was around sitting down and determining what is the strategy for this business. how do we really sort of um press the reset button um across all aspects of it and and I think this is where my role really started to move from. the sort of that hybrid role, of, which very ha- often happens in CFOs, in from that CFO and CEO, um, where you're yes, you have the finance function and all that goes with that. Um, but it's you know finance doesn't sit in splendid isolation. It's part of the business, and so it's working with all the other different aspects of the business. And there were some fascinating projects. I mean you know, from um, I remember losing our head office in, in Northern Virginia from what was a very dark and dull and very high uh, um, you know, those workstations that everybody hid behind, etc. Um, to a very bright, light, open plan office which
2: um created a certain amount
1: of trepidation, but actually in the end was, was a real huge success and, and, and that office I'm delighted to say is is now the blueprint for all our offices in North America. So um and really it went on to as we grew um significantly in, over those years um through uh, you know a revamped go to market expansion of some of our services. Uh we moved into you know we were looking to strategically how we would maintain that growth
2: um and
1: looking at the MA space and what sort of adjacencies, et cetera, and complementary services we could get into. And so we decided to get into the consulting business, which um, was, was a, a, a big shift for us. Uh, what's, so what's,
2: yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to uh, – forgive me for uh, interrupting – Tell us about BSI. I described it as the business standards company. Certainly, many of us probably know what is that. But what is the nature of this business, and what are the customers really buying?
1: Okay, um, we are the business standards company. You're correct. Um, and really, it's a company that helps organisations um, where make excellence a habit, which um, sounds terribly grandiose. But it's very real for us, and we really bring it to life um, with our clients. And we do this with clients all over the world. Um, our business is really around enabling clients to perform better, to, visit, to, to build truly resilient organizations through sustainable growth. Um, and you know, our, our history, we've been around since 1901. Um, and we have built up a huge variety of expertise, Academics that we can call upon, industry bodies, consumers, policymakers, etc., that all help us in terms of our knowledge base and what we can, the expertise that we can bring and, and harness with our clients. Um, and we do this in, in many different ways. Um, it's, it's very much we look at it as a partnership with our clients, um, and we do the, the, the sorts of services I guess that we deliver to clients is. A lot of it is around transfer of knowledge to training and education, information and use of some performance tools that we have. Um, we help clients comply with regulations um, globally. Uh, we help clients to um, assess their processes, their procedures, their products, et cetera, and where necessary certify them to various standards. Um, and then our consultants help um, advise help clients in areas around supply chain, resilience, and risk, uh, information security and cyber security, and in the environmental health and safety space. So it's a very wide variety of, of services to clients that's really driving...
2: underscore the global nature of this business. Uh, can you, uh, where does the business reside today? Are most of the customers, and again, I know it's based in London, but it, clearly it has a big U.S. presence and other parts of the world. Uh, Asia uh, is a is a large market for
1: BSI, correct? Sure. It's it, obviously it's a British company headquartered in London, uh, but we are a global company now uh, with clients all over the world. Um, and, you know, if I look at our client base, it's – it's um, I think we have something like 84,000, 85,000 clients worldwide um, that is hugely diverse in terms of size from huge multinationals uh, who are driving global programs um, and, and BSI because of the nature and the global presence we have. We can drive that consistency for them in terms of those programs um, through to – You know, small um, SME type companies who are looking to um, really get that, move that uh, needle in terms of excellence and and, um, best practice. Um, And then we, our clients are spread across a huge variety of industry sectors and segments. So, you know, from it, it's the full, the full unit really of, of, of sectors. So it's it's a very diverse company in
2: that regard. Take us back again and, and tell us about your arrival in the CFO office and uh, maybe some of the circumstances that led, led you there.
1: I think the it, it some of it was shaped around timing. Um, you know, as I say, I came to the U.S. in 2009 as CFO of the Americas. And it was a time, you know, the, the the markets were recovering or just beginning to they were just sort of coming out of the, the financial crisis. and and our business was, was really probably flat at that stage that it really did need um to push the reset button and, and reinvigorate it. Um and so for me it was in, in reviewing the finance function it was very much um, a function that was, I would describe as the accounting function um, at that stage. Um, and for me, finance is, is a huge, um, hugely valuable corporate asset that really needs to be leveraged. And so that means moving much more towards the business partnering um, type arrangement, um, while obviously providing all of the accounting type Um but moving away from that sort of back office, dreadful term, but nonetheless, uh, moving to that much more customer-centric, uh, business-focused
2: business marketing. I got. I have to I have to point out it. It seems like uh, what you just shared with us there just matches identically with so many CFOs during the downturn. Finance had to help lower costs, manage uh, perhaps layoffs, whatever might be required. And then after the downturn, it was like, okay, finance, you want to remain strategic, figure out how how to help us grow. And um, the collaboration you're speaking of becomes the doorway to
1: growth. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it, it, there are no um, divine rights to a seat at the table. I think if if my view is that if finance is to be at the table, then it needs to be um, equally um Contribute and you know contribute to the the, the, the overall strategy and growth, um, and we had a, a, a huge growth agenda for the business um, that required all parts of the business to to really sort of look at themselves and, and challenge the status quo and, and how we were going in, um, to market, et cetera, and and so there was a lot of change started, um, you know, not just in finance in, in a lot of other functions, and of course, you know. This is where, when you have that level of change, this is where the, the functions start to interact because they're, they're, they're generally part of a chain of processes. They're not um, in and of themselves uh, singular. And so that, in terms of the CFO role, it, it, it requires that ability to influence other parts of the business that you know, aren't necessarily under your agreement but, but have a huge impact in terms of overall um, business. And so to, to achieve that collaboration? Yeah, no, I'm
2: sorry. I keep interrupting. No. I, this is a really a, sort of the sweet spot for us. To achieve that collaboration, did you have to reorganize finance in some way? Did you have to hire oh, uh, other types of executives for whatever
1: absolutely. reason? I mean, I think it's, um, it, it, was, it was really a cultural shift in the, in the, the function. Um, there were some huge gaps in skill sets in terms of what was required, um, and so I had to bring in um, some key executives to to help drive that – well, first of all, to bring in that skill set that was required, the gaps, but also to help and be change um, champions in terms of driving that culture um, and cultural change through the organization. and. One of my mentors at the time was, you know, when I'd ask, uh, "Why are we doing this?" and well, the answer was um, for a while, well, this is the way we've always done that. <laughs> it, which became um, sort of my cry for 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 change because it it is really it was about, and I think you know to this day, I think finance has got to, as with most functions, to be honest, uh, really challenge the status quo and consistently look at why we do things, do we need to do them that way, do we need to do them at all, are they adding value? Um, and uh, I think it, it, that that does change the mindset um, and start to to really change, to become, as I say, that much more client-customer-focused um, function that, that recognizes that clients aren't just external there's an internal, a very large internal client as well that needs to be serviced appropriately. Um, and really it was about bringing people who had that interest in the business that didn't want to just sit behind spreadsheets of numbers, but were really interested in being able to tell the story of the business through the numbers um, and why you know, things were going the way they were, uh, both retrospectively but also probably more importantly prospectively in terms of what, what, what the implications going forward were. Um and it was it it took a while but it was um you know um very worthwhile exercise and, and I think has changed and, um, and it and and it drove changes to um, in technology as well where you know automating some you know of the higher value or volume transactions side of things, um, and really just that consistent change programme, um, which which continues. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a one and done. I think it's the nature of finance in the world today is that it's it's constantly evolving, and, and um, to really ensure that resilience and and um, continued success is. Is that you are constantly cha- challenging, constantly horizon scanning for what are the latest, um, you know, innovative ways of doing things um, and moving moving things forward.
2: We'd, we'd be interested in understanding. You, you use the expression of how how the team wanted to really use the numbers to tell the story, and how those numbers and metrics. How they, what metrics used to tell the story, and what metrics today tell the story, and I have to believe um, it's a metric mix, really, right? But maybe there's some customer-centric metrics now that have been become more prominent, more top of mind. What would you tell us about sort of that uh, the metrics when you first arrived there? What was important then, and what you like to believe? Is what's telling the story today, or what is telling the story? Today.
1: I think that the metrics were, you know, I think like a lot of businesses, we have some pretty standard type metrics, um, you know, standard P&Ls and you know the usual sales metrics. I think the the nature of metrics and the nature of reporting for me is that it evolves. It's not it's not a static um, situation because businesses are changing, their focus, their direction, etc. changes. And so you need to be under to really understand the business in terms of what are the key drivers. And so for us um there are a number of different areas we look at. We have performance and you know we still have the standard performance type measurements which are are, are you know pretty pretty widespread. Uh, but then we have things like utilization and capacity planning. Uh, which is future proofing and, and looking at um what our future capacity requirements are in terms of delivery, client delivery. Um, and we have the nature of our business is we have some um we have quite a bit of annuity type business. Um so that planning and horizon planning is is in capacity building building is is critical for us. So that, that forward looking perspective look view is is critical. Um, and on the client side, where we we look at a lot of the retention rates um, and renewal rates and client satisfaction, uh, because as I say, we have that annuity type business. So um, if you're not careful, you can have leakage over time. That um, and we really need to understand that and and what if any if if there is. Um, you know, changes. We need to understand why and how we address those. Um, so they're 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 critical for us.
2: Um, As you look to bring those numbers forward, then and those important numbers, the retention, the leakage. When you had meetings to discuss those, was there something that you did to move them more to the center of the discussion or closer to, you know, or something that's being addressed more often or and I could be wrong here, Sarah. Oh, I'm just okay. trying to. It would be wonderful to share something that would demonstrate how, you know, in the past, this was discussed sort of at a lower level, and now, you know, we were able to begin uh, addressing it in a more direct manner. I, I don't know what, what the circumstances might be.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I mean, time satisfaction is, is, is a huge um, and, and gets very high profile um exposure for us. Um obviously we 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 have very close relationships with our, our clients. It's not a sort of one and done. It's uh, very much a, a trusted partnership um, that are long term relationships. Um so client satisfaction and client issues are, are key for us. So that's very definitely something that we we monitor and, and manage very closely. Um and the CFO before you wouldn't have told us the same thing. What's changed? Uh, I think probably the focus on it and the emphasis um, is. I think just the, the the satisfaction rates, the client satisfaction rates. Um, I think have, have been steadily increasing, and they're 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 very strong now, and and our aim is to maintain and build you know, where we have issues, to address them rather quickly. Um, and so, the was there ever a conversation, I'm sorry, no? I'm interrupting
2: more than usual, I apologize for it, but was there ever a conversation that you had with a collaborator where they said, you know, you're measuring this customer satisfaction wrong, and I don't know if you use the net promoter score or what it might be, but we need to look at this one part of the business a little differently, and perhaps if we started... Asking this question rather than this one, we would get a more clear understanding. I mean, are those the types of
1: conversations Absolutely. that happen, or would you tell Absolutely. me otherwise? I think those those question sets are slightly different for all the different areas of the business uh, because there, there are nuances between the, 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 the different business streams, as we call them. And so those question sets change, and they evolve over time as the services change and evolve. And so there are those questions that says they're, you know, constructed and, and agree upon. They are circulated across the business to for key decision makers to have input into those. Uh, and, you know, finance is in there. There are finance type, whether it's invoicing, collections, whatever it may be. But there are there are finance type aspects in there that, you know, we have to monitor and measure.
2: Yes, there is that, what we call our signature question, which could, be, could have happened at any time in your career. We're going to ask for a finance strategic moment, a moment where you saw something, given your lines of sight into the organization as a finance executive, that led you to, uh, you know, respond. Whether it be a risk or an opportunity that was going to be pursued,
1: uh, does anything come to mind when we ask
2: for a finance strategic
1: moment? Um, I, several years ago, I was asked to um, oversee a small business that had come to us here in the U.S. through an acquisition overseas. And um, so it had been running at a loss, and I was asked to review to see if uh, this business, which revolved around audit in um, the food supply chain. And um, I... (laughs) essentially did a forensic review of it, um, looking at – and there was really very little information, sort of quality information around the segregation of services or, you know, the isolation of an an assignment of of revenue, the cost to to the different aspects and and service lines. And so one of the first things was to try and create that picture of what was really driving this and what – what activities, if any, were profitable or were less profitable. And so it was really a question of getting in under the hood of it and understanding um, that business, um, first of all, and the different aspects of the service lines of it, um, and then saying, okay, if these are the services, what are driving and what are the interdependencies? If I get rid of one service line, does that mean I impact something else? Um, and those sort of questions. And then, where were there, where there were service lines that established that were actually loss making or very low margin, could we change that um, and improve it? And if not, what would be the implications of, of, of getting rid of, of, of that service? And so there was, um, it, it was fascinating because we took, having gone through a lot of analysis and, and deep dives, um, and a lot of discussion with the, the business um, heads and leaders to to really sort of start to drive some change. Um, and actually, we there were very few um, business lines or services that we stopped. What we did, though, was introduce a lot more discipline around pricing um, and around scheduling and around how we serviced some of these clients. And so within, you know, it, it it was in about eighteen months we turned that business profitable, which um was really for me it was it, it just demonstrated the value of that financial discipline married with actually the commercial input that says when you bring them together to really look at a situation and look at a business scenario. Um you can make really well-informed decisions, and, and, and really, it's, it's, that's the power of, of, of the true value of, of finance, I think, in terms of what it can bring to the table in terms of, of business decisions.
0: When we come back, CFO Sarah Murphy steps into the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're back with CFO Sarah Murphy and we've stepped
2: into the mentoring round. Sarah, what is it that excites you today about finance and business?
1: I think for me the the one of the things that's all you know has been changing the, you know, but if I look at the world it's it's shrunk a lot over the last while through communications, the the, the speed of communications and and really the impact and the ripple effects of of world events and, and all the rest of it. Um and how quickly they really can impact businesses. And so it's that that that's exciting. And challenging all at the same time because it requires you to be, to really have that resiliency in terms of a, a business, uh, whether it's processes, uh, products, etc., um, to really be able to handle um, and to a certain extent to try and be proactive about some of these um, changes and challenges, um, but really to, to be able to have the agility. To um, to respond appropriately, so that you know the, the, these things don't have a detrimental effect on the business, and that's where we work very closely with clients in terms of trying to build that resiliency in their systems, and their processes, etc., to to really be able to respond very agilely um, when these things come up, uh, and that to me is is really exciting, but as I say, it's challenging as well.
2: I think uh some of what you just shared is is uh pretty intriguing to uh to our audience and um uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, tell us a little more about where you think uh your leadership path is likely to lead
1: yeah i mean i think the the experiences that I've had over the years um in terms of being in the finance and c f o role have really um, exposed me to lots of different experiences uh, within businesses. But it's also that um, the evolution, I think, of the finance roles um, in terms of that they are much broader now. I think the the CFO roles are much broader, which is what led me into, um, when we did all the acquisitions here, to ultimately moving from the CFO into the COO role of managing that new and exciting part of BSI, which is the consulting world, um, and really getting into the whole area of uh, post-acquisition in terms of integration, creating a blueprint for these businesses that have come together through acquisition. And so that's led a huge um, change of emphasis for me in terms of, but still pulling hugely on the experiences that you gained through the CFO role. Um, And that's evolving even further because I'm now about to transfer into another new role um, as I transition back to London, actually, in the autumn, um, to the Group um, Corporate Development Director role for BSI, which is a a real strategic uh, role. Again, it's building on all of the experiences I've had, both in CFO and c o o but also um, on that international experience and that commercial experience and that finance experience. It really is bringing it all together uh, as we go through that strategic planning for the next three to five years as a group, which is very exciting for a time for BFI as we you know, move from being that sort of mid-sized company to, to now are, are looking ahead to it becoming that larger company, and and really building the the commercial strategy um, and the operational plan that will support and deliver that strategy, uh, which will incorporate M&A activities. It will also incorporate some of the internal infrastructure and restructuring that we will need to do to ensure we have the, the platform for growth going forward. So it's really exciting in terms of, and it's it's really that sort of combination of all of the experiences that you draw upon that you know have, have brought me to where I am today. Um, and, and finance, for sure, is, is, is front and centre in terms of, of delivering that, and a lot of the disciplines that one garners through finance, um, as, as finance. Part. This is more
2: of a, a personal question we ask, which is: uh, as you uh, think about your career and uh, building your, uh, your your professional success along the way, was there a personal habit or some routine that you have that you think has contributed to that?
1: Um, I think there are probably a couple. Um, I I have that um, curiosity. I think. Um, I tend to ask a lot of questions and and get behind things and challenge, uh, which is I, I you know, I, I think it's a personal thing. I I, I like to, to to understand, to fully understand um all the aspects. Um so that's definitely um one that's, that's I I you know, I've never lost. Um I also think that, you know, the today as an executive I think we all work extremely hard, and and sometimes you have to, you know, you've got to make sure you enjoy it and have some fun along the way. And I think that is critical for me as well. Um, I I do need that sort of relief valve to, you know, have some fun and and personal time. And golf is a is a big um, outlet for me now. Um, So um, that that for sure is getting that downtime. But that allows you to sort of sort of recharge the batteries every now and again.
2: Did you get to the British Open this <laughs> year?
1: Unfortunately, not. But it was a wonderful spectacle to watch. <laughs> uh, is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring
2: finance leaders?
1: You know, I was thinking about th- th- this question, and it's there. There isn't a defining book for me. I, I actually, for me, what resonates most with me is. I like to read about and uh, follow, if you like, uh people that I really admire. Um and so I I find myself, um, you know, for example, one that i have been watching and um following for quite some time is Christine Lagarde, the former head of the IMF, Um and just how, you know, I think it it's sort of what resonates is 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 there you know, you stand back and admire their achievements, but it's how they achieve it as well. And I mean for for her as a as a trained lawyer to suddenly be, you know, going through the, the sort of um, politician type scenario to head of the IMF and soon to be head of the European bank, it's it's that, well, okay, how does a lawyer get you know? And and, and I, I suppose in some regards it's interesting for me because as an accountant it, it demonstrates that y- you can't just be defined by your professional qualification. That really, if you have the aptitude and the interest and, and, and the drive, you can move into all the different areas if you're open to those opportunities as they arise. So for me, it's 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 not a specific book. I'm, I'm more interested in just reading about specific people that I admire and, and look to to, to follow. That's that's an excellent uh,
2: choice. I never, uh, the way you explain that, because frankly that's what we try to do on this podcast is figure out how you got where you did to help our audience uh, learn how the finance executives are able to acquire the experiences and the skills uh, to step in to a a CFO leadership role. Um, But for someone like, and and she is something of a mystery at this point, um, to me, and I think probably to a lot of people, so, well, thank you, uh, Sarah, for uh, indulging me. I did throw you a few extra questions, but we are finally at our final question, which is when to ask you to look forward and tell us about uh, your priorities for the next 12 months. What comes to mind? My
1: priorities, obviously, I'm um, transitioning into a new role um, and, uh, as they say, across the pond. But um, I think for me, it will be to really get a handle on what are our strategic goals for the next three to five years, and really building out and fleshing out the operational plans and and strategic plans to that will deliver those um, over the next while. Um, And then looking at all of the components that will go into those, uh, of which M and A is a key part. we will have a lot of organic growth and continue that, but we will for sure have inorganic as well. Um, and then just building out those and working with the various businesses to align to how we can deliver and resource to deliver those goals, um, and really working those those plans over the next while and putting in place some for, formal sort of structure around those plans, um, including measurement, because. Uh, that, that it's one thing to make grandiose strategic plans but um, it's, it's, it's critical that we measure um, our, our success and, and tracking to those plans as well over the next while. So for me that's, they're, they're some of the key goals for me. Sarah Murphy thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Peter. Jack it was a pleasure.
0: Thank you.